0: Welcome to Kelonia Podcast. Here Gabriela Bernardi, and in today's episode we talk about the world's biggest digital camera at the Vera Rubin Observatory, with mechanical engineer Martin Norby at the SLAC National Accelerator Laboratory and Sidney Erickson, physics PhD student at Stanford, California. Good listening! Welcome, welcome to Kelonia podcast, a podcast about the use of scientific discoveries and technology applications. We provide the best information on projects participated by Kelonia and many more. My name is Gabriela Bernardi, I'm a science journalist, and in today's episode, we talk about the world's biggest digital camera with mechanical engineer Martin Norby at the H.E.S.S. hel National Accelerator Laboratory in California. It's a pleasure to meet you, and would you please briefly introduce yourself and tell us which is your main activity.
1: Great. Well, I'm glad to be here. And uh, yes, I, uh, my name is Martin Nordby. I'm a, a senior mechanical engineer at, at SLAC National Lab. Uh, I've been working on this project for a number of years, the LSSD camera project for uh, many years now. Um, in that role, I, I essentially have three main, uh, uh, th- three main roles in, in my work on this project. Early on, as we uh, were coming up with the design of the camera, a bigger role was to make sure that we understood how all of the various pieces of the camera needed to function so that the camera would work as a whole as we needed it to. So we spent a lot of time working with our, many of our collaborators to develop requirements and understanding about how all the pieces needed to work together. Um, then that switched to uh, making sure that the design as it came together uh, actually physically fit and that the pieces would all function correctly. So that was sort of the design integration, making sure when all the parts came together, they would work. Uh, And then of course, very recently, we finished actually integrating the camera and putting it all together. And so now my role is really to to verify that, yes, indeed, everything, all the functionality that we needed to have is actually working correctly. And then also as, as we identify issues or problems or things needing work, uh, then I, I you know, work to troubleshoot that with others and resolve the, whatever the particular problem may be. So that's that's been over the course of the of the development of the, of the project.
0: Yeah, has a long history in particle physical research. How it happened that he was selected to assemble the three thousand megapixels LSST camera for the future Vera Rubin Observatory.
1: Yes, no, that's a great question. Uh, We actually early on uh, were part formed a a collaboration with a number of other labs and uh, university groups, both uh, in the U.S. as well as in France. Um, And so we put together a proposal, um, and that was actually evaluated by a sort of nationwide uh, community, um, and and as as part of a ranking to understand, uh, try to determine where the best uh, bang for the buck would be in terms of using. Uh, you know, U.S. federal uh, money for research, and this was ranked very highly. Um, we do have a lot of particle physics experience um, uh, over the past maybe twenty years. The field has changed, I think, quite a bit. Um, that uh, what started as purely accelerator-based particle physics now really is more high-energy physics research. Um, and some of the some of the highest energies <laughs> that we can see in the universe. Uh, actually don't happen in a, a particle accelerators, but actually out in the universe, right? In uh, uh, black holes and in uh, uh, dark energy, dark matter research and things like that. So the field is, is changed now. There's much more uh, emphasis that includes astrophysics and cosmology as well. So those are areas our scientists were very interested in, uh, in continuing work on. So they put together this, uh, uh, this proposal uh, uh, SLAC is, was the main lab for developing the camera, but Brookhaven National Lab and Lawrence Livermore National Lab were also uh, were two of the collaborating uh, labs as well as a number of university groups. So I think part of the reason why we were selected uh, was we had a very strong scientific case for why we uh, why this would be a very good uh, instrument to build. Uh, we have never built a camera before but at slack as well as at brookhaven lab we there we have quite a bit of experience with uh, low noise detectors uh, developing low noise detectors ccds and other um, uh, particle physics type detectors uh, that require very low noise electronics as well so there's detector v- development as well as low noise electronic development both were critical to making this a success and we had quite a bit of experience in both of those. So, so I think on the technical side, those are areas that really uh, um, were instrumental uh, in us, uh, you know, getting, this, uh, uh, getting this project uh, on board and actually executing it and doing it very well, I think so. So
0: how did you exploit the existing facilities for this kind of work?
1: Yes, so our, there, there are really two aspects of that. One is our physical facilities, we have a number of clean rooms uh, on site uh you know uh, i'm a mechanical engineer so we have a no, you know quite a number of mechanical engineers with uh detector development experience and packaging experience as well as vacuum experience um that was all critical and finally cryogenics experience so those all were critical um we also have quite a bit of uh, personnel with uh, experience, like I mentioned, low noise electronics and and detector development; those are both critical, uh, as well as uh, mechanical engineering teams that um, were familiar with and comfortable with working in a very multidisciplinary area that was really required, uh, and working closely with our electrical engineers and software engineers as well.
0: So, also the camera assembly work and which are the uh, the main difficulties
1: wow well it's a it's a complicated camera um but it's it's a very large version of 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 a, of a camera so we have lenses uh we have three lenses the the largest of which is actually the the largest uh, refractive optic or largest lens ever built um and so uh, so we've got three lenses in the camera um and then we've got a shutter that opens and closes to actually take images um you know our shutter happens to be about, 800 millimeters in diameter. So it's an extremely large shutter. <laughs> um, we also have a filter changer. So that's another mechanism that can move filters of uh, different band passes uh, or different uh, uh, wavelengths of light um, uh, into the beam. Um, and so we need to be able to remotely actuate those filters all night long as we take different images. Um, so that the filters themselves are about 800 millimeters in diameter. So they're very large. And so moving them around inside a relatively compact camera is definitely a challenge. So, uh, the team that built that was a consortium of six labs in France, actually, as part of the, uh, nuclear physics and and astrophysics lab in France. Um, so, and that's been working well. Uh, then finally we get through, uh, uh, the, the light comes through the lenses. You know, the shutter opens, uh, goes through the filters and finally uh, hits uh, our detector plane or focal plane of detectors. And we have, um, you know, a few hundred uh, CCD detectors on a a very flat flat focal plane. Um, They need to be flat to within about 25 microns. So it's extremely flat. The focal plane is about 600 millimeters in diameter. Um, We're trying to detect single photons of light. Um, and so, uh, it's very important. I mentioned low noise electronics before. It's very important that these detectors uh, do not emit a lot of noise. If you take a picture with a with your iPhone or something like that in a very dark environment, sometimes you can see sort of cloudy, wavy, uh, 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 sort of background images, and that's actually a noise from either the sensor in your phone or the electronics that are digitizing the signal. Uh, that kind of thing would just kill our camera, and so one way to avoid having noise problems is to cool the sensors down, so they operate at about minus 100 degrees C. So they're very cold, uh, and that helps out quite a bit. But that adds further complications. So all of the all of the sensors are actually in a vacuum for insulating them uh, and uh, allowing them to to operate at about minus 100 C. So that vacuum insulation adds another layer of complexity, but really is essential uh, for us to get a low noise uh, camera.
0: Do you think that the technology development needed for the LSCT camera will have a future application?
1: Oh, definitely. I, I think it, it already is being applied elsewhere. Um, the, the Probably the biggest areas where that's being applied um, Uh, and and can uh, be further applied is in um, the the low noise electronics again, Uh, also in the data readout. Uh, Our camera is is not your typical astronomical camera. We take images, uh, about 15 second long images, and we do that all night long, Um, and then digitize images, then we can add them back together again digitally uh, to make very uh, deep images uh, of very faint objects. Um, so to take an image and download it uh, when it's a 3.2 gigapixel camera, we take a, a 15 second exposure and we need to download 3.2 gigapixels in two seconds. Um, you know, digitize it, download it, store it. Um, we also have an alert system. So if there's something new in that image that was different than the last time we took an image of that part of the sky, we can alert the community Uh, about that, that has to happen. That alert system has to happen within 60 seconds. So our data processing uh, for this is just uh, a considerable, uh, both the data handling at the front end, as well as on the back end, managing the, you know, we'll have petabytes of data eventually. Um, So we have quite a bit of data management uh, system as well. Um, The system we have developed at Slack for, for, data, for handling the data, pulling it down off the CCDs is actually being used, uh, a very similar system being used on an upgrade of uh, one of the ATLAS detectors um, at CERN. Um, so that's that's an example of a synergy that we have uh, working on a more conventional particle physics detector at CERN, an upgrade to that, uh, one, one, one subsystem of that, and we can use it here as well. So those are a few applications that, uh, that we see r- right off the bat so. Good. And now um,
0: last question uh, what do you like best about working as a lag?
1: oh wow all right. there are a few things uh, few, a few things one is uh, probably the biggest one is that we have uh, uh, new detector projects all the time. Uh, this is a great example of a, it's a camera but really it's a, it's an instrument that detects light um, uh, I've had the opportunity to work on a number of different detector projects in the um in the this is in the visible light spectrum also in the gamma ray spectrum and x-ray spectrum so a number of different detector types um each one the technologies are are unique but there are also similarities so that provides uh, new challenges um and and much of it is is if not cutting edge then very uh uh technically difficult and challenging so that's uh uh those kind of challenging projects i find really exhilarating uh working uh with a number of other people uh who also are uh you know love to work on projects that are uh are important uh advance the field uh not just the engineering side of it but more importantly the science side of it really uh advance our understanding about how the the universe works and uh, i find that really uh fascinating uh, uh uh fun to work on basically so
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Martin Norby, for joining us today at this podcast. Great.
1: Thanks very much. All right. Bye-bye.
0: And now we are with Sidney Erickson, physics PhD student at Stanford, California. It's a pleasure to meet you. And would you please briefly introduce yourself?
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So yeah, like you said, I'm a physics PhD student at Stanford. And my research work at Stanford is dedicated to preparing for all of the new data that's going to come from the Bear Rubin Telescope. Um, And within uh, this ginormous scientific project, I'm specifically focused on working in cosmology. And so I'm part of the Dark Energy Science Collaboration, which is a group of scientists that are coordinating efforts to use the data uh, from the LSST survey um, to put the best constraints on cosmology yet. And um, within this collaboration, there's lots of different kinds of scientific probes. And so I specialize in strong gravitational lensing.
0: When the LSST camera at Vera Rubin Observatory go into operation?
2: Yeah, so the camera is being shipped to Chile um, in May of 2023. So that's coming up very soon. Um, being at Slack um, is really exciting right now. Um, to see, we've gotten to see the camera open and all of that, which has been great. And then the full system um, is estimated to be ready for the survey start date in fall of 2024.
0: And the LSST camera will look for dark matter, dark energy, the Milky Way and solar system. What are your expectations?
2: Yeah, so the general theme in all four of these areas is that um, Bear Rubin is going to take images of large patches of the sky. Um, These images are very deep, so they'll be able to see objects that are very faint. And it will return to the same patches of sky over and over again. And so we're going to generate a really big catalogue of objects. Um, And so with this catalogue of objects in the solar system, in the Milky Way, in the universe as a whole, that's so much bigger than anything we currently have, we'll be able to do science that we haven't been able to do before. And so in terms of dark matter and dark energy, I think the the open question right now in cosmology is, is our standard model of cosmology, Lambda CDM, is it correct? And so I think we'll be able to generate a better answer to that question using all of the new objects that we'll see with, Uh, with Faro-Rubin and for the other two areas um, again it's just the general theme of cataloging more objects so cataloging more stars in our Milky Way and cataloging more asteroids in our solar system and one particularly fun thing is they're looking out for potentially hazardous asteroids so we want to catalog all of the asteroids in our solar system and their motions and make sure that none are coming towards us.
0: The LSCT is one of the largest ground-based astronomical observatories. The James Webb Space Telescope now is the largest space telescope. Both are looking for dark matter and dark energy. Can you comment on these different approaches?
2: So Vera Rubin, um, once it's up and running, is dedicated to a single survey for 10 years, which is the, the Legacy Survey of Space and Time, so LSST. And so again, this it's all the time the telescope is dedicated to this one project, and we're just going to generate this huge catalog of all of these objects, um, and we're going to get a really good map of basically everything that we can see in the southern sky. Um, And so that's kind of that approach. Um, James Webb, um, the observing time on James Webb is split among many different exciting projects. And so what I would say is that there are two complementary approaches. With Vera Rubin, we're imaging the whole sky over and over and over again, generating a catalog, finding all these new objects. And then let's say we find an object that we want to know more about, we could then, you know, point with James Webb at that object to get, you know, a higher resolution image of that object. And so with James Webb, you'll get, um, you'll see less objects, but you'll see them in in higher resolution. And with Vera Rubin, you'll basically see everything that you can see in the southern sky, and you'll see it over and over and over again. Um, but because it's on the ground, you know, there's some atmospheric contamination. And so the resolution is is not as high did you choose
0: to work in this field? What or who inspired you?
2: Yeah, so growing up, I always liked math. And I guess when I found out that you can describe everything going around on around you with math, uh, when I took my first physics class, that was very exciting for me. Um, and so ever since high school, I've been pretty interested in, in uh, physics. And I didn't actually land in the field of astrophysics until last year when I started grad school. Um, and I think that I like this field because there's so much room to explore. There's so many things that we don't know. Um, and as a young scientist, it's really exciting to get to tackle these really big questions. Um, and my inspiration is, um, probably my mom who, uh, has really, worked really hard to give me an opportunity to, to go do a PhD. Um, it's just a really, really exciting opportunity. I'm very fortunate to be able to like work on this every day. So exciting.
0: And now we are at the end of this podcast, but uh, if you could go back or forward in time, what would you like to know, meet, or discover?
2: I would like to know what dark matter and dark energy are. So I would go forward in time to when we figured that out um hopefully soon
0: (laughs) thank you thank you so much sydney erickson for joining us today at this podcast and thanks to our listeners if you have any questions about today's show you can get in touch on kelonia twitter feel free to subscribe kelonia.swiss website and be part of the community thank you for our next interview thank you again
2: thank you